24 through 26, John chapter 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me. Thank you. Where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. How do you start out your prayers? You ever think about that? I typically start out similarly to the way Jesus begins his prayer in this first part here with the word Father. That's how I address God with that title. However, what follows is not typically like Jesus' prayer here. As a matter of fact, what follows is a slew of disjointed requests that are often interrupted by the urgency of the now. I'm sure that you can relate. Sometimes it's very hard to focus on, on prayer, and then after my prayers are done, I'm not quite sure what I prayed for and why. I want you to think about what follows when you pray and why. Who or what is on your mind? Who or what are you praying for? Why are you praying for those things? And then I want you to think about this. What if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? Would your prayers change? Who would you be thinking of? Who or what would you be praying for? What would you ask God for those that you are leaving behind? I'm sure things would change in your prayer. And I'm sure you would probably give maybe your final wishes to those around you. And maybe you would give specific requests to God for those that you are leaving behind. Maybe you would ask um, your family members to make sure something happens. And in doing so, you would be revealing your heart. You would be revealing what matters most to you. Jesus is going to die. This is his closing prayer. We know he's going to pray again in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this is his closing prayer that he wants his disciples and you and me sitting here at Galilee Church in July 2023 to hear today. He wants us to hear this. He wants us to know this. And it's for some very, very specific reasons. If you and I had to summarize our experience as believers in Jesus Christ, I think this prayer offers such a wonderful example. Here Jesus offers two prayers, and they are distinguished by the two titles that he addresses God with, Father and O Righteous Father, and they are followed by 
two things. The first one is His will, and the second one is His revelation to us, and the purpose behind both of those. So the purpose of His will and the purpose of His revelation of the Father to us, and that's how we're going to break down this passage here today. So we're going to look at two purposes, and then we are going to look at the overall uh, arching purpose of our experience and life in Jesus Christ. So the first one, the purpose of His will is that we be with Him to live in the presence of His glory, so that we would be with Him and behold His glory. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. How many people have will and testaments written out? Probably not the best thing to talk about right now, but maybe, maybe have some written out. Here's a few. One of them's by Harry Houdini. The renowned master of escape, Harry Houdini and Daredevil, died in 1926 of all days on Halloween, believe it or not. Towards the end of his life, Houdini had become mystified by the idea of an afterlife and spiritual mediums. Houdini promised his wife, Bess, that he would contact her in the afterlife. As a matter of fact, he gave her a 10-digit code, and only she knew the code. So when he contacted her, I'm not quite sure how, and relayed this code, she could then say to all the naysayers that Harry was still alive and well and contacting me, which, of course, never happened. He also had a, in his will and testament that a seance be held each anniversary of his death, and I think they actually might keep that one up today. Gene Roddenberry, he's the creator of Star Trek and inventor of the notable quote, to boldly go where no man has gone before, made a certain statement, long, made, a, made, made sure something would happen long after his passing. Do you know what it was? In his will and testament, it included instructions to have his ashes scattered via a, via a space satellite in space, orbiting Earth. So, that actually took place. And that gives me another category answer because sometimes they ask, what's in space? And now I can say ashes or Gene Roddenberry. Dusty Springfield, the British singer known for such hits as I Will Follow Him, made her cat a priority in her last will and testament. Instructions stated that the cat was to be fed imported baby food and serenaded with her songs. Mark Gruenwald, the executor editor of Captain America and Iron Man comics, as well as being involved in uh, other Marvel comics, wanted, and this is the weirdest one, wanted his ashes to be mixed with a comic book. And there's a picture of it. So I think if you find that one, let me know. We'll sell it on eBay together and make lots of money. Why do I tell you these things? Why share this information? Our will and testament is, reveals what is important to us. Who or what is important to us? And these individuals revealed that. 
space, comic books, cats, their loved ones. I want you to look at the word that Jesus uses here. As a matter of fact, I know many of you, if you're using the NIV, NASB, or the, even the ESV, have this translation of I desire. Maybe it says I want. It says I wish. If you have the King James Version, I actually, surprisingly, I usually don't agree with the translation of the King James. They got it right. They translate this text, I will. I will that. And in the context of Jesus dying, very, very shortly, this is his last will and testament to God, asking God to ensure that something happens. It's almost a command. It's called a quasi-imperative. It's, it's, it's not quite a command, but it's almost a command. What does Jesus want? Who or what is on his mind? It's you and me. What's his final will? What's his final request? What does he say to the Father? He says, Father, I want you to ensure that those that you have given me will be with me where I am. Jesus wants to see us in heaven. It is his final request. It is his will. And because it is his will, it is will be. You and I sitting here today who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ was on his mind. It's not like, you remember those parties that you wish you were invited to as a kid and your best friend had a party or someone had a party and then you find out about it weeks later and you're like, oh, I, never, I never got the invitation. Well, Bobby didn't want you there. You're a little weird. <laughs> we, we had a good time without you. Jesus wants every single one of us who have placed our faith in him to be with us in heaven, to behold his glory for all eternity. He wants us there. He desires us to be there, and he makes this his will, and you can guarantee it's going to happen, folks. And it makes sense because he loves us. And if we are in a loving relationship with someone, don't we want to be with those people? Don't we want to be near them? Don't we want to enjoy their fellowship? Don't we want to learn more about them? I remember one of the hardest times of, of I say hardest times, but maybe you'll disagree, of my time with Sarah in the beginning was when we were engaged and we would spend all day together. But there always came a moment that we hated. You know what time that was? When I had to say goodbye. And I would say to her this phrase, I got to go. She hated it. I hate it. And I, can, she, I know she hated it. She's told me she hated it. Maybe now she's like, okay, get out. You know, see you later. <laughs> Whew. All right. Go. <laughs> I'm on vacation. How long? Okay. <laughs> Go back to work. But you know what we would do? We would encourage each other by reminding each other of a time when we wouldn't have to say goodbye anymore. And the waiting was so long and it was hard, but we waited and we waited and we waited and then came the day where we're together. 
And it makes sense that Jesus Christ and the, and, and the church is compared to this marriage relationship. He desires to be with us. And folks, there's coming a time. We just sang about it today. There's coming a time where we're never, ever going to say goodbye to him again. There's coming a time that we're going to be with him in heaven. There's coming a time where we're going to behold his glory. There's coming a time where all the waiting, all the pain, and all the suffering is going to go. That time will be because he wills it. He wills it to happen, so it will be. And he wants to, for us to see him in the fullness of his glory. And even though I think this is talking somewhat about the glory that he had before the foundation of the world, I don't think specifically this is what he's speaking about. That's included. And the reason why I don't believe that is because that glory that Jesus had before the foundation of the world was never given. That gl glory was his. That's the glory of God Almighty because Jesus Christ is God incarnate. What is the glory that is given? What is he talking about here? Well, it makes sense given the context of it. He's talking about the glory that God is going to give to him and only him for the work that he has accomplished on the cross. And it is the work that he has accomplished on the cross that brings us with him so that you and I are glorified along with him as well. That's the glory that you and I are going to behold. For all eternity, we are going to worship and praise the Lord who gave his life up for us, who traded his glory so that you and I can be glorified with him, who set aside that, still being God, becoming man, taking on our sins so that we might one day be with him. That's the glory that we're going to behold. He speaks of this glory now because he knows he's going to accomplish the will of his Father. We've got to ask ourselves a few questions with this. And, and I know God created us to enjoy life and God gave us this world. He gave us relationships. But do we want this as much as Christ wants to be with us? Do you and I desire to be with Him as much as He wants us to be there with Him? If His glory is the is the culmination of our eternity, what should be our focus now? If this is what we are going to be doing in heaven, worshiping and praising Him and, and admiring Him and bowing down before Him and enjoying the fellowship of Him, if that is what we're going to be doing in heaven, then how should that guide and shape our lives here and now? 
And if His glory is the primary focus of our eternity, then why on earth would we ever exchange that glory for the glories, fading glories of this world? I say this in all sermons, but especially this one, I preach these same things to myself. It's probably one of the most convicting verses that I've come across in this high priestly prayer so far. If my entire eternity culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then what does that say about my life here on earth? Am I making that a focus? Am I making that a priority? Am I proclaiming from the rooftops the glory of the cross like I'm going to be proclaiming in heaven here and now? And if not, why? Am I allowing this reality, what one day will be a reality, this vision of glory to motivate me to sacrifice my own glory here on earth and the glories of this world for Him and for only Him? And because this is His will, You and I can be assured that what? No matter what we face, as we go out into this world, this is going to happen. Do you believe that? And if we know this is going to happen, then it doesn't matter what happens out there, does it? As long as this is our focus, as long as this is what we are glorying in. They can do anything they want to us. It doesn't matter because glory is going to follow. It can be pitch black out there. It doesn't matter because glory is going to follow. You and I can be assured that no matter what we face here and now, no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much the world may hate us, no matter how much our friends or family may abandon us, no matter how much darkness surrounds us, glory is going to follow. Jesus wills it, so it will be. That should make us break out through these doors, shouldn't it? We have absolutely nothing to fear and everything to gain. No one can take this away from us. The world can't take this away from us. They don't own us. Jesus Christ does. And Jesus Christ says this is going to happen. And if the wills of those other people happen, you can, you can make sure that the creator of heaven and earth, we know that's going to happen, don't we? This is assurance motivation. This is the hope that we have. There will be a day. There will be a day. There are some that have gone before us that are experiencing this reality right now. One thing we don't want is regret. Vacation, sorry, had a lot. <laughs> Stirred up in there. Take a little breather. Getting a little hot up here. 
Many of you know this woman. Who, who is she, anyone? Maybe not. Maybe many of you don't know this woman. <laughs> Fanny Crosby, there you go. Fanny Crosby, one of the most prolific songwriters in the history of Christianity. Anyone know how many songs? That good answer. Yeah. 9,000 is a lot. 9,000 spiritual songs. She was blinded in both eyes at six weeks of age through a medical error. However, she could still visualize the beauty of Jesus Christ and His blessings. Often, and I love this, often with more clarity than those of us who can see. As a result, it had been noted that in many of her hymns, this visually impaired lady quite amazingly spoke about what? Sight. Seeing. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Watching and waiting and looking above. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. And if that's not enough, she said this. I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. I'll tell you what, this woman lived out this truth, didn't she? She was already beholding His glory here on earth. And because of that, the fruit of her labors continue to this day and continue to all eternity and are here to encourage you and I to do the same today. See Him now. See Him now. Focus on His glory now. Behold His glory now. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and everything else in this world is going to fade away. We might as well get practice in what we're going to be doing for all eternity. The second purpose, the purpose of His revelation of the Father to us is to have the presence of the Father's love or His love live in us. So He wants to be with us, and He wants His love to live in us. Verses 25 through 26. Notice the change of title. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me, and I have made, made your name known to them and will continue to make it known to them, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The village of Ramagala... Lithuania held its annual beauty contest. But guess what? It wasn't your typical group of contestants. 
the beauty contest was for a bunch of goats. And I'm actually proud to say my ethnicity is traced to two places. One of them's Poland, and one of them is Lithuania. I guess we can see now where I get my nose from. <laughs> the news outlets reported that about 500 people attended a parade in honor of the winner, a 16-month-old goat named Little Spot. That is the goat to the right, I believe. Not that, you know, I don't know if either of them are pretty in any sort, but a total of six goats were wearing not... A lot of competition. I don't know why. Maybe they couldn't find pretty goats anywhere, but six goats wearing varying uh, arrangements of flowers were presented before a panel of judges before Little Spot was crowned the queen of the festivities. Uh, the lady, the people who owned Little Spot said that they regretted that the only thing that they didn't do was polish her nails. Probably wondering what on earth does a bunch of goats in a pageant, have to do with this passage. I want you to look at that word righteous. I want you to see exactly what Jesus does here. Why does he use this term righteous? Because this is not a term that is used often in the Gospel of John. And he specifically addresses God with this title and then goes in to make a few distinctions, doesn't he? There is, O righteous Father... And then there is the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, yet I know you, and I know you as righteous. And I have made that name of righteous made known to those that you have given me, those that you've sent me to. It is absolutely imperative that we make the same distinctions as we proclaim the gospel that God makes in His Word. Those distinctions are, there are none righteous. We're all a bunch of goats in a beauty pageant compared to the beauty and righteousness of God Almighty. A bunch of silly goats in a beauty pageant. And the only way, I love the way that he does this, he begins with the Father in his righteousness, he goes to the world in their unrighteousness and their disbelief, and then he goes to himself, the mediator of that righteousness, to who? You and me. How are we made righteous by God? The person and work of Jesus Christ, and that is the only way. That is the only way. There are none righteous. We're a bunch of goats in a beauty pageant. None. No one's righteous. Yeah, maybe we're, some of us are a little prettier goats than others. Maybe we got a little more makeup on. Maybe we polished our nails. Same distinctions that are made in the, in the Gospels have to be made in our churches. Jesus does this very, very intentionally. He wants us to know there's one, there's one righteous, and it's not us. If, if you're here today, th this is the gospel. And, and, and how he combines all these things in such a short verse is beautiful. You have the righteousness of God, and you have the love of God, and where do they meet in the person and work of Jesus Christ? 
If you think by coming to church, if you think by giving tithes, if you think by, by following the Ten Commandments, if you think anything like that, please get that out of your head. You're just putting flowers in your hair as a goat. How are we made righteous? Jesus Christ. That's it. And the righteousness that he gives you is a righteousness that's going to last for all eternity. This is the gospel. You and I are made 100% righteous, not in anything that we have done, but all the work that he has done. He became sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. 100% righteous because of Christ. And if that doesn't encourage you, I'm not quite sure what else will. Because I wake up every day and I'll tell you what, I don't feel righteous. Matter of fact, I don't act very righteous. I act like what? A goat. Bleating everywhere. Blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm doing. So I'm glad for this truth. We need to hear this over and over and over and over again. This is our security that we have in Him. He revealed God to us. It's only in Him that we are righteous. And if this is the truth, then what is the truth that we are to proclaim in this world? The same truth. The world doesn't want to hear this. The world's going to put on their makeup. They're going to fight against it. This is the truth that He wants us to hear. And here you have the righteousness of God and the love of God combined in the person of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of his revelation? The purpose of his revelation is so that the love of God abides in us. So that it lives in us. Through the presence of Jesus Christ. And what kind of love is this? It's a perfect love. Why is it a perfect love? Because it is the same love in which he loves his son, Jesus Christ. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Let me ask you something. Is he ever going to stop loving Jesus Christ? No. Is he ever going to stop loving you who are in Christ? No. There's your security. There's your identity. There's your satisfaction in life, folks. The love that we have in our hearts now because of the presence of Jesus Christ is just a foretaste of what is to come in eternity. And this love is not just an abstract concept. It's a real abiding love. Tim Keller tells this story, and Tim Keller is actually where we were just talking about. Tim Keller is beholding the glory of our Lord and Savior. Tim Keller shares this story. He says, many years ago in my first pastorate, I met with a teenage girl in our congregation. She was about 16 at the time, and she was discouraged and becoming depressed. He said, I tried to encourage her, but during that time came a revelatory moment when she said this, yes, I, I know 
I know that Jesus loves me. I, I know that he saved me. I, I know he's going to take me to heaven. But what good is that when no boy at school will even look at me? She said she knew, he continues, all of these truths about being a Christian, but none of them were comfort to her. The attention, or lack thereof it, of a cute boy at school was far more consoling, energizing, and foundational for her joy and for her self-worth rather than the love of Jesus Christ Almighty. Of course, he says, this was a perfectly normal response for a teenage girl, right? You would agree, right? We can get it. We understand it. However, he says, it, it reveals the workings of our heart, doesn't it? And then he quotes Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards would say she had the opinion that Jesus loved her, but she really didn't know it. Christ's love to her was an abstract concept while the love of others was real. Let me ask you something. Is the love of Christ real to you? Why or why not? Is it just a concept? Because that's not what Jesus says here was His purpose. His purpose of revealing God to us and abiding in us is so that His perfect love lives within us so that it fills, overflows in our lives. Pastor Dave, in his commentary or his exegesis on this section, I think sums it up absolutely perfectly. Listen to what he says. God's perfect love lives in us. It is not just that God loves us. He intends that the inward presence of His perfect love to fill our lives. His purpose is that His perfect love will rule over our lives and govern our relationships. Is His love ruling in your life? Is His love filling you up and governing your relationships? Is His love shaping you and comforting you and consoling you? If not, why? Go back to our girl. What was more real? Love here. Whenever I meet with young folks and they're talking about relationships and even married individuals, I always emphasize this, this point. If you are seeking to be satisfied in any other love than that of Jesus Christ, you are going to be very disappointed. And if you are seeking to find your identity in a relationship, you're going to be disappointed. Do not do that. Find your identity. Find your satisfaction. Find your comfort. Find your true love in the love that Jesus Christ has poured into our hearts. 
It's only then are you going to be good for anyone else and for this world. You have to be secure in that. You have to know it. You have to appropriate it. You have to let it do exactly what Pastor Dave did, said, rule your lives and govern your relationships. If you can't do that, get out of that relationship. Our identity, our worth, our value, our satisfaction, our fulfillment is not found in this world and it's not found in other people. As much as we may love them, and, and that love is a good love. I love my family with all my heart. Love them. But it cannot take the place of the love of Christ. It can't. That's idolatry. This is what He wants for us. That this love resides in us. That this love will comfort us when we're alone. That this love will reassure us that we belong to Him. That this love will remain no matter what we do, right? I can't sin this love away. Because it's the love that the Father has for the Son. The same love lives in our hearts. What a fitting way to end His prayer. It's a love letter. He loves us. He wants you to know that. He wants you to be sure of that. He he wants that love to fill your life, and He wants that love to overflow into the lives of those around you. We can only love each other properly when His love flows through us. It's not just for us, is it? Over and over and over and over again, a mark of the Christian church is what? A Christ-like, sacrificial, divine love. Unbelievers don't have this love. They can't have this love. Why? Because Christ is not in them. What's very interesting is you follow the pattern of what he says here, how is the world to know him? A world that doesn't know him, how are they going to know him? They're going to know him by looking at who? You and me. Doing what? This love. Let me ask you something. Are you loving the people in your life with the love that Christ has loved you? Are you forgiving them? Are you being merciful to them? Are you encouraging them? Are you reminding them of that love? Let me ask you another question. Are you loving the world right now as Jesus Christ loved us? I know I'm not. I'm at war with the world right now. And I have to remember this. We can still stand up for the truth, and we need to stand up for the truth, but we can do it in a loving, compassionate, gentle, Christ-like way. That is a distinguishing mark of the church. We don't hate. We love. And we love with the love of Jesus Christ. That's the love that's poured out into our hearts. It's a real love, and it's a love that should govern everything that we do. And it makes sense because what will remain? And we see how the two flow together. We're going to be enjoying His glory 
and what's going to remain is His love, isn't it? Love will remain. What a fitting way to end His prayer with a love that will last forever as we enjoy His glory. And we can be assured that as we go out into this world that what? Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. We have the motivation, we have the encouragement, and we can go out and proclaim that love being fearless. And out of these two purposes, I don't think we can miss it, can we? What's our main purpose in life? Jesus Christ. It's the experience of His presence. It is one day for all eternity beholding His glory, being with Him. And it is here and now experiencing the love of His presence, the perfect love that is in our hearts, and that love is going to continue forever. The presence of His perfect love now will continue on into eternity as we are glorified with Him and behold His glory of the One who gave His life for us and who loved us. Our purpose is Jesus Christ. Amen? Our purpose is Jesus Christ. It is His love. It is His glory. Our purpose is to be wholly His and enjoy His fellowship here and now, to worship Him here and now and for all eternity. It is allowing His presence to influence and guide our every thought Every action, every decision, our, our lives are summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, church. Now and for all eternity. And the challenge that we need to make to ourselves every single day is to make what one day will be a reality, a reality here and now. To live in His love. To allow His love to be lived out in you, to focus our attention on Him. To glorify Him in everything that we do and do not allow the glories of this world to steal our hearts away. Knowing that a day is coming when His final will is fulfilled. When you and I will be with Him for all eternity and this world would have passed away and we will behold the glory of the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Father, I hope that day is soon for all of us. But until that time, Lord, we have our doubts, we have our fears, we have our temptations. We have our failures. We ask that you sustain us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you make these verses real to our hearts, real in our lives. We ask that you give us the encouragement that comes along with them. We love you. Help us to love you better. We want to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to not take our eyes off of you. 
Help us to long for the day, that day when we will behold His glory and be with You for all eternity. Keep us, protect us, and guide us, we pray in the precious and powerful